Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside. Punch is the debut feature film of director Welby Engs. It tells the story of two young men living in a small New Zealand town and exploring their sexuality. In this interview with Welby, we discuss the film and its themes. Just a note, there are references to a sexual assault in this interview. Welby Engs, really nice to have you in my studio, finally. Thank you. Over, over the years, we've kind of bumped into each other and uh, chatted about the possibility, and we finally get... Uh, a chance to talk about punch. Wonderful. Yeah. So you know what? Uh, I watched it yesterday. Actually, I was supposed to be at the premiere and I um, wasn't well. So um, yeah. I, you know what struck me about it? That it didn't feel like a New Zealand film. It felt almost as though it had European sensibilities. That's a really interesting because I make I love this country very deeply, and it is the source of all the stories in my films. But I actually think of the human condition as not defined by nationality. Mm, mm -hmm. And although I talked about uh, cultures and distinctiveness that's here, the, the bigger idea was something that we might contribute to the world. And so it's interesting, like all my short films have always done far better overseas than they did in New Zealand, even though the stories themselves are from New Zealand and they are shot here. I um, I don't watch a lot of cinema and I have no television, I have no radio. That's I really have, interesting. Yeah, and so my sensibilities are possibly less shaped by the mediated stories of our country. Mm. I do read a bit, I do read quite a bit, but... Um, I just, um, I didn't set out to make something stylistically anything other than transferable. Right. I guess that's the easiest way of explaining it. Yeah, well, as I say, the reason that it, that it struck me as so is that uh, the dialogue was sparing. It wasn't as though you were filling every minute up with talking. So the, there was a kind of Kiwi stoicism in a way. And the, the landscape was there. Obviously, there were some references, but I love the fact that it wasn't bogged down in what I'll say crudely, Kiwiana, that we need to prove who we are. There's no rugby matches. Yes, there was sport, there was boxing, but it wasn't... This is what it, it, I guess you were, you were talking about suppose, wanting to create an international kind of feel to this. So grounded here, but it felt it had a universality to it. It's so lovely when somebody sees that stuff. Like oh, I, I, lo <clears throat> I love sparseness yeah. because sparseness makes room for people to co-create, to, to, to bring their own stuff in it. And you know, when we overtell stories and our anxious attempt to nail all the things down, I think we end up turning audiences into spectators instead of co-creators. And one of the joys of working on this film was with, like with Tim, Roth, he's the same. He's very sparse. Mm. Although you people talk about his movies that they see as like very violent or whatever, he came from design school too. And, you know, we have got this basic thing that when something goes wrong, we go, what can I take away to make this work? And so, and it was also with, with David Long who did the, the, the score, which is just, he was a dream to work with, you know. And, and you're constantly going, can we pare this back? Could we remove that? could you actually make intimacy by creating space rather than anxiously telling everything? So even in the film, even narratively, we don't know what happened to Jim's mum. She's exactly. present 
She's present by an absence, and it's a tangible, palpable absence, but she's not there. We don't know about Fetu's family. He alludes to them twice. But, and actually, in an early iteration of the script, I had a whole backstory in there and ripped it all out. And I think, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I, I, love, I love movies and novels and music that haunts me because I have to become, uh, I, I have to fill in the gaps. That cinema doesn't have to be a display of sensation. It can be thought. And I tried to go, what if we could take the most intimate parts of our world and cause people to think rather than react to them? So when you say a perception like that, that's, that's the, one of the most affirming things you could actually oh, say to me. So that's yeah. great. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad I got it. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you nailed it. Um, you mentioned Tim Roth. And uh, gosh, what an extraordinary performance from him. You realise when you're dealing with a very talented artist, whether they're an actor, a musician, a production designer, whatever, that um, they, again, they know what to subtract to increase the power of something. And he was, like, he was really attracted to the script because the script is very poetic but sparse. And, um, and that was part of the reason that I had so much trouble getting funding because, you know, I draw all my films and then and I write all over my drawings and then from there I, I describe what is seen and little flickers of things and put a script, screenplay together. And his agent sent him the script and Stan, the character he plays, those of us who have grown up in either in families or had relationships or lived with alcoholism, we see it often dumbed down in the idea of the boozy, the boozy, um, <clears throat> out of control person. And I tried to create Stan so we would love him. We would love him. And he was, all of those characters in that film are flawed and they're trying hard to be good men. And it's a film about masculinity, about men trying to be good men. And um, he, loved that character and he is really funny because the first time this was in the middle of covid you know and 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 um <laughs> the producers went oh god tim roth really wants to do this part and i thought oh <laughs> shit but he wants to have a talk with you and i thought oh shit is this where you get lined up and asked to add more scenes in because the actor has a voracious appetite yeah. for for their own portrayal you know and it wasn't it wasn't he was we just had, uh, we spent a lot of time online over about three months just talking about stuff. He grew up in Brixton, you know, um, and uh, he he was really interested in how Stan, the love between a father and a son when the father was trying his best and he was also managing alcoholism and sometimes not managing it. And, and a boy, I wrote it because I was really interested in the son who becomes the father of the father. And um, and so not only was it his performance, the way he wor worked with Jordan, who is his son in the film, they boy, it was like a father and son relationship. He was so Jordan knew he was so proud of him, he was so proud, and yet he'd go before every scene, he'd go, "Don't you fuck this up." <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Very intelligent, humane person. So Jordan and Conan play the other two leads of Jim and uh, Fetu. 
What conversations did with did you have with them about them creating their roles, and what freedom did you give them? A lot of freedom. Um, so I always have a very strong vision of a film. So I knew what the film had to do, and I knew what each plot point was doing within it. But I also know that when you work with another artist, you are bringing something meaningful into the mix. So I auditioned for three years to find those guys. And Jordan is asthmatic, and I wrote his asthma into the film because he's got such an extraordinary tone in his voice. He does, doesn't he? He does, and his breathing is present. His breathing is very present. And, um, And so I wrote that, and he's also a sportsman. And but he had to go into training for like almost a year before that full training, so he was fight ready at the time because there's no doubles used in that. And although there's it's choreographed as with stunts, all of his training, all of that is absolutely authentic, and he was prepared to commit. And he's a very physical actor, so you're always balancing intensity and adrenaline against subtlety and he had both those things but as a director you have to get both of them playing and oftentimes if the adrenaline builds too high you've got to find a way of bringing them down to get to the subtlety but he is capable of both he's got beautiful there's some very tender moments in there and incredible vulnerability conan so um conan was took a long time to find and um we auditioned a large number of of young Māori men, and a significant number of them backed out after the audition when they saw what the part actually was. So you know, at an audition, you just see the bits that you're auditioning, and then they re- and so there is still anxiety around masculinity in New Zealand. There is still anxiety. Conan didn't give a toss, and he walked in. He, I remember he had black fingernail polish on when he came in, and Fetu has black fingernail polish in the, in the film. And and Conan actually, we worked with Sarah Beale, who I've worked with before in costume. She's really good. She let Conan co-create those costumes with her and because he had a sensibility that he didn't interpret. He possessed the character. And um, so although I got him to learn uh, raranga, to learn to do the weaving, so although I made all the kete in that in that whare, he had to know physically how to do that. He spent a lot of time out on the beach by himself. Very, very different to Jordan as an actor, very interior. He, he, he draws himself into himself. And as a director, you have to leave stillness around him when he goes in and also when he comes out so he can repair his state. But um, neither of them, none of them were prima donnas, which was so lovely because they made, they didn't subtract from anyone around them to be able to get to the place they had to get to. And that's a lovely thing to work with. Well, they, they did, to me, it did feel like these were real people, that there was nobody playing a role, and their, their interactions uh, felt very genuine, very organic in a way. I think any of us who write about our people or make films about our people, we carry a great responsibility in the time of paucity when there's not a lot about us, and we cannot be everything to everybody and every experience but the need to be genuine when our stories are so rarely told center stage we're peripheral characters on other people's stories so just to clarify we're talking about um lgbt lgbtq yep sorry family yeah um 
that you kind of... I mean, I had to push quite hard sometimes um, with the production to make sure that things were not sanitised to an easy hit. And so that included things like language that was used in there, the... um, that Fetu would bite back savagely. He bit back... He said some stuff there that, you know... But when you're injured, that's what that looks like, mm. you know? And um, so I, I... It was so... I sat in on every audition. Every audition. I know I'm OTT, but I did. And I... But it was the only way I had to be really certain that that these people, these actors were so talented that they could craft a character for a very discerning public who had seen themselves misrepresented many times. And so every subtle thing had to be there naturally because if you were going to try and nail it in, it would start looking fake. And they... Um, and, yet, you know, they... What I really loved, I wrote the characters quite is quite different from each other because I, I get frustrated at this idea of the um, the gay male archetype. Uh, you tell know, me about it. it yeah. irritates me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, let's make sure that this is a a relationship between two young men who are very different from each other. Mm. You know, and so and they and the fact that as people they were quite different to each other, but they both genuinely loved the character that they were crafting. And we spent... So I'm a strong believer in embodied work, so trying to be in... Put yourself into that world to find yourself in that world. So they spent a lot of time in those environments. You know, so it... I'm I'm glad... I I think it also is is a, a credible they are credible relationships. You've brought up a uh, one of my bugbears actually I have to say, and I look at it particularly in television but also film, in how portrayals of gay men are often stereotypic and shallow. Well, so I believe exactly the same thing, and I think we we throw the word diversity around without acknowledging how diverse gay men and lesbian women and trans people are. And I even worry when we reduce the complexity to acronyms to a set of letters, and I just go, it's actually working against the fact that we are... We are we're human beings with very diverse and complex personalities, and there is a consumable exoticism that gets used, I think, in the media. But lots of us are not exotic, you know? I do the panel beating on my ute. You know, it's not exotic. And we are easy to consume so long as we look exotic and the other. But when we claim the territory of the ordinary, then I think we're a greater threat. Yeah, I, I understand that, absolutely. And that's what I tried to do with these these characters, that they claim that, you know, Jim doesn't leave town. You know, the, the, the grand narrative is all gays have to get out of small towns because, you know, that's the grand narrative. And we all have to go and um, um, love to shop and um, be witty and urbane and wealthy. And and bitchy at times. And bitchy and beautiful. And and you go... That's why I made certain that you saw the hairy 
a leg, you saw the pimple on mm. the arm, you saw yep. all those things. Even though these were, there was great beauty in these people, they were not airbrushed people. And, and it was a challenge because these were two younger men and we associate beauty often with an age thing. And I thought, how do I, how do I deal this with, how do I deal to, because I love beauty, I, the beauty politically I think is a very powerful thing, but it's not prettiness. Mm. And so, you know, that, the poor guys, that sex scene in the water, Never try it. Never try having sex in your shallow, runny, freezing cold water. And the sand. The and sand the, sand, the sand is no joke. Anyone who's been there knows that. You know, but I, um, so I tried to, so I'm, I, I wanted to make a beautiful film because I think that you can give, I think the ordinary is extraordinary and you can treat it as beautiful, but you cannot... You can destroy everything, you can undermine everything if you end up with archetypes. Mm. And so that's why I love Jordan's voice. That's why um, I, you know, Conan went into a lot of training with uh, uh, Dr. Robert Pulfari to get the Tuhoi dialect because I didn't want a pan Maori dialect. Yeah. And so all those little things are put in to go, you know, we, we use these terms gay by takotapui, lesbian, trans, and they actually can be dumbing downs, social dumbing downs of the wonder and complexity of who we are. And well, well, and going back to uh, Fetu and the way that um, Conan played him, so yes, he wore nail polish, there were certain uh, expressions, certain ways he spoke at times, but he certainly wasn't a stereotype. Fuck, you wouldn't be in a fight with him. No, Sorry. No, exactly. No, you, at, see him, you see him flip Jordan's arm off his shoulder. So I, I got our stunties to train him in street fighting because he's, you would not mess with this guy. You wouldn't mess with him. And, and that's one of the things that... Um, and that's why during the queer bashing, he fights so ferociously, so ferociously. And... Um, I know that sounds like spoiler, but I actually don't believe in spoilers. I think films more than just discovering what the story is. Yeah. Um, the yeah. So and I'm and I when I was casting him, I knew he had to be a match because these were two men. These were two men who were very different, and I get irritated by the dumbing down of our relationships into the transported idea of a dominant and passive partner. I, that's not never been my experience of being a gay man. It's, it's been my experience of something that is sometimes layered over as an expectation, but certainly not an experience of my sexuality or socially. So, um, yeah, so I, I was, I tried, yeah, it was really interesting because we had a couple of people we came across in the crew who were going, oh, Fetu does drag, and go, Fetu doesn't do drag. Mm. There's no drag in what Fetu does. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not, he's wearing army boots, and a kimono through town, and if you messed with him, he will rip your lungs out. That is not, and he's not being camp. He's not being camp, he's being fetu. But isn't it interesting, those views of that, and how uh, delineated roles are in society, even in the 21st century New Zealand, they're still delineated about what somebody should be like and how we identify them as being part of that group, therefore they must be that. And part of the hegemony is that as as rainbow people, we sometimes buy into it and reinforce it. Mm, absolutely. And and so 
and that's a you know I can understand the need to belong to an identity I can understand that because it's if your identity you've been brought up with has had words mixed in it like abomination or mm. weak you know of course of course you're trying to find something yeah. but it's a card the media is not responsible for providing the identities. Human beings are responsible for providing our identities. Our friends, the people we admire, not the celebrities and not what comes across as depictions on television. I wanted to return back to the, uh, to the sexual assault and when Fetu gets beaten up because it, it, it highlights something that's really, really twisted yet fascinating about human nature. So there are these two, uh, two men assaulting, weren't they? Uh, tough men, they're obviously um, you know, henchmen to a degree, calling him a faggot, call, really clearly homophobic, and yet they rape him. Absolutely. So, there's a, so the, the violence and the rape, so it's a sexual thing. Yeah. It's, it's that, that, that almost that uh, split personality thing around this, that they're doing a what you would think of is a male sex activity to another male, and yet it's something they claim to detest. It's it's a very weird thing. And yet it's absolutely in our world. I, absolutely, yeah. yeah, totally. It's interesting because sometimes you say to people, there are three identifiable gay characters in the film, and they go, well, who's the third one? And you go, well, the guy who rapes Fetu and then grabs Jim by the mouth in the, in the training room and comes... A, a centimetre away from brutally kissing him while trying to possess and control him. Yeah. You know, and we, you know, many gay men know these men. They are, they are, if you, this is a difficult term, they are homosexual. They are sexually attracted to and um, um, shaped by desire to sexually possess other men. And oftentimes, no, there's a very high correlation that those are the men who queer bash. Mm. You know? and, and, and there's internalised homophobia going absolutely. on there as well, though. And, and you know, I've, um, I, looked, I looked and looked and looked for films that might talk about a queer bashing. And, and I insisted on calling it a queer bashing on set. People would say, oh, the assault. And you go, no, it's a queer bashing. Because I know even when I lived in Thai Happy um, twice, we had to get... Uh, guys down to the base hospital because you couldn't take them to the doctor and tie happy because everyone would find out. And they were bleeding from the anus and the mouth and those assaults are always around the genitals, the anus and the mouth. They're not broken arms, they're not punches in the stomach, they are sexual assaults. And I thought, damn it, I will show it for what it actually is. And But then I cut it very tightly so there was no gratuitous dwelling in it you were left with it as a brutalizing set of flashes that didn't deny a single part of it and showed the man the the man who was being attacked as fighting back and um so not as oh the poor gay boy got beaten up you go the only reason this happened to him was that there was more than one person there you know the other moment, and it uh, it wasn't a a big part of the film, but in the the scene in the classroom where one of the girls I can't recall her name now, but she is basically bullying him and uh, bullying Fetu, and he reacts 
right on her face. It, it's actually a, quite a hilarious <laughs> scene. But the upshot is, it's not the bully that gets kicked out of the classroom. Wow. It's, the, it's the boy who's being bullied who is then re-victimized by saying, you're the problem here. Do you know what? Even when I was developing the script, sometimes there would be feedback going, oh, we don't like the fact that Fetu slut shames. And you go, what's just happened to him? Exactly. What yeah. just happened exactly. to him? And it was a, And that's why making a film about masculinity actually required people to step away from a gendered analysis of something like bullying totally. and look at what it is. And so he does not start that altercation. And he's actually provoked and with a pretty heavy, heavy thing. Yeah. And and he responds he responds with everything he has to defend himself. But it's really interesting. It took a long time for some people to get over the fact that he had been slut shamed. He was responding and this was not a gendered thing. This was, he, the, both of them were using gender as part of the assault. And, and then he is the one who's put outside and called someone who's playing a victim. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we, like I'm, I'm proud of how far we come as a country and also aware that we have further to go around understanding gender and understanding gender and violence and gender and love. And that scene, there was some pressure at different times for that scene to be removed from the film, and I wouldn't take it out. Well, I'm glad you didn't, because I think it's, it, it's instructive of human society. And again, women are capable of bullying. Anybody is capable of bullying. And I think uh, it, it really struck me that moment when the teacher outside is trying to say, well, you know, you're, you're wrong here. You shouldn't have reacted like that and you, you need to move on. So diminishing the fact that he has been embarrassed uh, in front of his peers, it, it would, to me, it, it actually was one of the most powerful moments, even more so actually than the beating because it was amongst his peers. The, the two men who beat him are external to him. This was someone in an intimate environment. Uh, so to me, it really stood out. And, I, and I'm proud of you for putting it in because I think it's a really important one. It's, um, I'd always understood there were two assaults on Fetu and that was the other one. And, uh, and without it, they actually, at one point, because I'd used that as one of the audition pieces for, to find right, him, yeah. I had to know <laughs> that there was enough control and rage in there to be able to deliver that. And... Um, at one point, there was some criticism about what he was saying, and I rewrote a second version, and it just dropped dead. It dropped dead, and I went, no, he has to open his mouth and just say the stuff. And what was really interesting, as an actor, he was so good that when um, later on in a scene that we shot later than that, which was at the Mori when he comes out, and he's got the... Um, Vaseline in his hand, and there's the, and what there is is the there's the betrayal that most gay guys have is where somebody wants to be their mate, but when they're around their mates, they don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I said to him, I'd written a line, and I said, don't don't use that line. Say what comes into your head. Well, the first line 
just everybody's mouths just hit the ground and you go, no, you would get your head punched in straight away, straight away. Oh, no, no. So he came back and we, he, had an, he had another line. But it was, the great thing is once a character is embodied, they do genuinely co-create. And, and as a director, I try to stay, some people don't, some actors don't like doing it and so I don't, I don't force it. But when somebody is in the flow with stuff, um, and you're stuck, you go, mm, it feels a bit pedestrian, just let them come through with whatever comes out of their mouth. And his, you know, it's Miss Faggot to you. <laughs> yeah. It's just great because it's right from inside him, you know. Yeah. It's great. We've talked about some of the bleak moments, but I don't want anyone to think that this is a bleak film because it certainly isn't. Um, it's beautifully shot, uh, beautifully performed, and a story that I think is really important. So, as I said, I think, I think you, it's, it's a work that you can be justifiably proud of, and I think the people who are involved of it, in it can be justifiably proud of it. That's very kind. You know, when we did the test screening, there was something affirmed. I did not want to make a dirge. I wanted to be able to talk about tough stuff and love. And the three words that the, um, was, we did a test screening to 200 people before I did the final edit, and the three words they came up with was sombre, and then beautiful, and then hopeful. And, you know, that's true. I think that's true. That's how people experience it, as a f- film about hope and, and beauty. Welby, thank you so much for your time and all the best. Thank you. That was filmmaker Welby Ings talking about his new film, Punch, and it's in New Zealand cinemas from the 8th of September 2022. Now, on my website, you'll find plenty of interviews, reviews, and lots of my opinion. I cover the arts and entertainment industry, as well as the LGBTQ communities. All of that on andrewwhiteside.com. While there, you can sign up for my regular newsletters, and if you want to support my journalism, you can do so by buying me a coffee. Links to that are on the website. I am Andrew Whiteside. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.